looking into I sound a little loud is that looking into God's word together as we do every Sunday Um, this uh, we're in the middle of a a series of of reflections of of seeking to understand God's word from the New Testament and uh, as we look into the Bible each week we what we're trying to do is to kind of see what we can learn about being a community of people who follow Jesus today and uh, we've been looking for the past few weeks into uh, the book of uh, Revelation. I think there should be an overhead uh, slide up there, please. Thank you. Um, that's great. Okay. Uh, we're thinking about uh, the book of uh, Revelation. This uh, book of Revelation is a message from Jesus, a message from Jesus that comes to uh, a number of local churches. This uh, isn't working, um, Oliver. I don't know. Why is it, is it not working? Okay, that's it. Right, thanks. Hopefully it will be now. Um, yeah, basically we, we have these, the, these messages from Jesus to um, a bunch of churches who were in existence in the first century. Um, and uh, the Apostle John, one of the leaders of those churches, one of the disciples, John, one of the twelve disciples, uh, gets a, a revelation, a vision of Jesus Christ. And in that vision comes a message. In fact, the whole book of Revelation, as we have it in the New Testament, is that message from Jesus to those seven churches. And then on, as the book at the end of it says, to the rest of, uh, church across, uh, the, rest of the church across history. Uh, and they are personal messages to a particular group of, of churches. Um, it's still, uh, right, okay, that's it. For a particular group of churches, there they are, um, on the map, we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. And what was going to happen, as uh, we, you may remember, was that there'd be a, a messenger who would, would take these, this, this document round to those congregations and read it out loud for them all uh, to hear. And before the letters start, then there's this kind of introduction that we looked at in the very first chapter, which is a, a description of just who it is who is speaking to them. Do you remember that? John has this vision of Jesus. uh, And it's in a form that uses pictures, perhaps unusual kind of images, uh, to point to different aspects of of Jesus, of what he's like, who he is, and how he gets involved in the lives of people and communities today. Uh, And these pictures that will continue through the whole book of Revelation, we're not going to do the whole book right now, but as as, as these individual messages to these seven churches get read, these pictures uh, of Jesus are are, are coming back to them. Uh, And there's some important stuff to learn from that. And John's experience of seeing Jesus in, in this way, in these, two, these pictures, if you remember, point up two things about him, two important things about Jesus. Here's the first one, that he is, first of all, glorious. He is glorious. This is still not working. Thank you. That's the second point. I don't know why. Uh, we've, we may have got a battery failure, but anyway. He is glorious. That's the first thing. Do you remember when John sees this vision of Jesus, uh, you know, with all those Old Testament connections, there's, there's bits and pieces of it that, that remind him of how God appeared in the Old Testament in fire and glory. There's parts of it that remind him of the time John saw Jesus at the Transfiguration. And it is so overwhelming. It, it's almost indescribable. And John, the apostle, 
also in, in his vision, he says, he's just knocked to the floor. He's overwhelmed at the amazing picture of who this person, Jesus, that he knew, he followed, he loved, who he is, and how he is the sovereign Lord of all things. He appears as God. It's like seeing God. It is seeing God, in fact. So he's glorious, but more than that, it points up something else. He is also close. He is close. This one who is so glorious is the one who touches John. John's on the ground, as you remember, at his feet. It says, I fell down, his feet is dead, and he put his hand on my shoulder. I assume it's his shoulder. It doesn't actually say it's the shoulder. But he felt the same hand that he'd seen heal people just touch him. Remember that? The Jesus he knew. The Jesus who's described as the one who loved us. The one who says, don't be afraid, he says to John. I'm, I was dead, now I'm alive. I'm the living one. It's okay. Don't be afraid. He touches him. And all through these letters to the churches that follow, we see these two elements. The Jesus who speaks to them is overwhelmingly glorious, isn't he? He's just amazingly, mind-blowingly glorious. He is challenging. He's kind of fierce, I was going to say, in some elements. His eyes flash like fire. He's wild. There are warnings that he gives them. But at the same time, he is touchingly tender, isn't he? He appeals to these groups of Christians to change. He encourages them. He wants them, as we shall see next week, to let him in and be part of their experience. This Jesus says, I know, I know. Seven times he says, I know, I know. At least seven times, or or, hold on, look at my notes. Uh, Five times he says, repent, you can change. It should be on the screen. Repent. (laughs) I'm I'm talking to you as well as the... um, PowerPoint. (laughs) Sorry. Change. You can change, he says, five times. You can change. Change. To all of them, he says, I will come. I will come. I will intervene. Expect an intervention. Seven times, he says, the Spirit is speaking. Hear the Spirit. Each time, he says, whoever overcomes will meet him, will know him. Individuals within a church community, individuals can respond to him and welcome this tender, loving, yet glorious Christ into their experience, into their Christian community. It's an astonishing picture, isn't it? Each time, he he says, whoever overcomes... Whoever sticks with me, whoever follows me to the end, will meet me, will know me, will be part of all that he will do forever. And this is, as I say, I think it's an amazing, if you stop and think about it, it's a mind-blowing picture of what the church is and of the church's relationship with her Lord. Just stop for a moment. That's what the church could be like. That's what the church is. There's nothing in the Bible that says it stops at the end of the New Testament and doesn't carry on like that, is there? Do we get that picture? Do we expect that? Do we realize that, you know, it's not just about coming along and singing songs and doing stuff, but we are in this amazing relationship with a living, glorious Christ who promises to intervene, who does things, who speaks to us, 
who, who is, is close to us, who wants to kind of encourage us and, 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 and lead us on in change and growth. Do we get that? Do I believe that? Do you believe that? And this Lord, this Jesus, who moves among all of these churches, he holds each of them. He's passionate for them. And you know, he's like that with us, with Portswood Church. That's our relationship to him. He's like that with all the churches in this city, with Victory and with Highfield and with St. Denny's, with Above Bar, with New Community, with Central Baptist. All the Christian communities in this city are they in any different kind of relationship with Jesus than these seven churches? Well, is there anything that says that all of that stopped? No. Do we get that? Do we have a big enough kind of vision of what it is to be a local church? And not just that, that this Jesus who speaks to these communities and speaks to us as a community says that he really cares when our love goes cold and he has something to say about that. He loves us and he speaks to us when we're suffering. He draws near and intervenes when we're under the pressure to compromise. If you notice, that's Ephesus. That's Smyrna. That's Pergamon. He knows when we're being deceived like they were in Sardis. And he speaks to warn and he acts to rescue us. He wants us to wake up when we're in a coma and almost dead because of hypocrisy as we saw last week. That's him. And he's got something. Uh, sorry, and he doesn't give up on us when we just can't be bothered with him anymore. And we'll hear about that next week in Laodicea. And he's got something to say to us when we feel that we just can't go on anymore. When we're just overwhelmed and weary and we just don't know how we're going to carry on. Because he speaks to a church uh, in, in Philadelphia who is in that position. So this spirit has something to say to us when we're in any of these places. Not the physical places on the map, but these places, our love grows cold when we're suffering, when we're under pressure to compromise, when we're practically dead on our feet not uh, with, with hypocrisy. All those things. Jesus has got something to say. He really cares about his church. Surely that's what these letters are telling us. The Spirit has something to say to us when we're in any of these places. We need to hear and respond. Well, let's see what he says now to the church in Philadelphia. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, on page 1235, if you're uh, looking at the uh, Bible in the seat nearby. Thanks. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David. When he opens, what he opens rather, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. Yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. 
Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, today we're thinking of uh, this little church uh, that was in a place called Philadelphia. There it is there on that screen. And uh, I can't get it on that side, but you can see it there. A real place. Um, I'm not going to say very much about it. Um, We'll pick up some stuff as we go. Lots of interesting history about it. There are some quite interesting facts that we can find out about it. But we don't have a lot of time today. It's the glorious Jesus and the close Jesus who speaks to them. Here, how is he described? Well, he's described there in that first verse as holy and true. Holy and true. These words are used of God. You know, if I say to you, I'm going to use a word. What do you think of when I say the word? Okay, if I say the word holy. Well, I've given you the answer now, but usually people might think of God or you know, something to do with, with the supernatural or with the divine. And, and, and Jesus is saying he's holy. He's saying he's associated with God. Actually, as we've seen, he, he is gloriously divine in that sense. But more than that, it also says that he's the true one. True. And this, this little word in, in the Bible is, is not usually used of people. It's used about kind of true stuff. When it is used, it's used of God only, actually. Uh, the true God. Actually, in the book of Revelation, God himself is described as the holy and true one. And Jesus, again, is kind of claiming this authority and this right to speak to them. Holy and true. It's like saying he's holy and absolutely true. True, true. Nothing truer. The kind of truth that you apply only to God. That's what he's saying. He is holy and true. And what does that mean? Well, the point is that if that's the case, he's saying to them, so you can trust me for what I say. You know, this is coming from, from a place of authority. It's something that um, he's saying, how I see it as a holy and true one, the picture I have of you and your church, he's saying, is true. You know, it's not kind of up for, it's not a matter of opinion. It's not a number of, of possibilities. It has come from the holy and true one. What does he say that about? Well, then, what does he say about them? Well, here it is again, that, that phrase that comes each time, I know. And again, he says, I know what you do. He says, I can see, you know, from your lives, from your behavior, I, I can see what really matters to you. But he says something else, and he? he says, I know as well that you have little strength, verse 8. And again, I don't believe this is a criticism. These are the facts as the one who is holy and true sees it. I guess they were not feeling that good. I guess they would have said, look, we're not that strong. And Jesus is saying, if you feel like that, you're right. Not that you're no good, but you are weak. You know, you've had a tough time. You're in a place where if you feel weary, you've got every right to feel weary because you are. It's reality. That's where you are. And there's a reason for, for that. And he tells them, kind of, he reiterates it. They've been through a very tough time. 
Uh, there was in, in the, there's a reference here to something called the synagogue of Satan. Well, if you read the book of Acts, you know that there was often, not always, but often big conflict between the Jewish community and the Christian communities in different cities around. And this has been the case in Philadelphia. We read that it was also the case in Smyrna, one of the earlier uh, letters that we looked at. Do you remember? There was strong opposition. In fact, uh, Jesus describes them as a synagogue of Satan. Now that sounds a bit... I don't think that means that they were into, you know, uh, black magic and, you know, all that kind of stuff you you, uh, watch in dodgy horror movies or something. That's not what it means. In the Bible, the word Satan uh, just means accuser. Someone who's opposed to you, someone who's against you. Sure, the Bible believes in a personal devil. The Bible teaches that there is a kind of a personal kind of um, evil place where evil resides in, in, in a personality. Jesus is saying, but also the word means that accusation and, and, and destruction and opposition. And it seems to me that what Jesus is saying is that this synagogue, this Jewish community, are just, you know, they've taken on the role of opposing the Christians big time. It's almost as if, you know, what actually defines them as a Jewish community is that they're going to oppose the Christians. And in the ancient world, at this time, if a Jewish community decided to oppose the Christian community, the Christian community were in for a very bad time indeed. Because, as you, you may know, the Jewish communities had certain privileges under the Roman Empire. They were the only people who were exempt from Caesar worship, for example. If you were a, Jew, a Jewish person, you didn't have to worship the emperor because you were like registered as a Jewish community. And for a long time, the Christian communities uh, were able to flourish and grow kind of uh, because they were kind of a... People thought they were like Jews because they talked about the Messiah, Jesus. But if a Jewish community decided that they were going to oppose you, all they had to do is say to the government, local government, you know those people that aren't worshipping Caesar, you know they're not Jews, don't you? You know that they're not exempt. And you can see what happened. They had the power to make it very, very difficult for the Christian believers. And that's probably what's been happening in, in Philadelphia, and also what was happening probably in Smyrna, if you remember that. But the point is, it was tough, it was hard, and there was a demonic, an evil element to it. That's what they were going through. But Jesus, in verse 8, also he says, I know that you've kept my word. He said, you've faced this, you've not denied my name. You've kept going patiently, you've endured and this is unreserved praise he has for them. The, the Philadelphian letter of these seven, uh, like the Smyrna letter, uh, there's, there's no kind of nothing where Jesus says, you know, I want you to change in this way. Yeah, there, there's un, there, he said, I've got nothing. You're doing great, guys, is what he's saying. You've kept my word. It's been really tough. You've not denied my name. But it had taken a toll on them. They were weary of it. I guess they just weren't sure how they could carry on. They just didn't know how to carry on. They were just uh, weak. They just carried on day to day, I guess. Have you ever felt like that as a believer? Have we ever felt like that as a community? Do communities of believers sometimes feel like that? We've endured patiently, we've faced tough opposition, we've had a hard time, we've kept his word, we, you know, we, we've done everything that he's asked us to do and 
we're just weary and tired and it's hard and it's tough you know we get choruses up that you know all about victory and how wonderful it is and you know how you know i'm i'm you know a conqueror and all of that stuff and it's just a little bit difficult to sing those songs on those occasions isn't it ever been like that what does jesus say well it is quite tough talk and they are kind of challenging words he's saying but but they're coming out of reality he's he's basically saying yes it is tough yes you're weary and you're not just it's not just a psychological thing you are weary you've had a tough time guys i know i know and i've got something to say to you what is that what would he say to us if that's where we are i'm going to go quite quickly through this because um just a point up some help. if you are weary you won't want a lot of complex details i want to give you some things to hold on to and also um uh, we've got to do a shorter message as well but um the key thing jesus says to them look at verse eight he says see look and he talks about an open door but i think this word see can apply to lots of things you know you're weary i can't i'm not sure that i can carry on what where, where is your head what are you looking at usually you're looking at the ground, aren't you? And I think Jesus is kind of saying to this group of believers, look, just look up. You know, I want you to see something. Look, see, open your eyes, open your eyes, because I want you to realize some important things. There's another way of seeing where you're at. And it's what the Spirit is saying. And if we're weary together or as individuals, maybe we need to see these things. Let's have a look at them. Here's the first one. First one is this, Jesus says, I want you first of all to see who he is. See who he is. He, we've already thought, he's told them he's the one who is holy and true. And so we know he is the one who can be trusted. This word to them is solid. He describes himself as a, an interesting phrase, one who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. Now, this is a reference to a story in the Old Testament in Isaiah. I'm not going to go into the detail. You can read it yourself if you want in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 15. Briefly, the story is of a steward who had the kind of responsibility of the door of the palace in, in Jerusalem in the old days. And uh, this guy was very complacent. And God kind of says to him, I'm getting rid of you. And I'm going to replace you with a new steward. And this new steward, he uses that phrase, well, he'll have the key. And he'll be over, you know, who goes in and who comes out of the palace in Jerusalem. It'll be up to him. I'm giving him the key. It's the key of David. That's uh, what it means. What's it saying to us? Well, Jesus is simply saying to the believers at Philadelphia, he is the one with complete authority. Just like that man in the uh, Old Testament who God gave the, the right to let people in or out of the palace in jerusalem god has given jesus authority over everything it's what he says in the great commission and not only does he have that authority he is able to use it so when we're overwhelmed when we're at the end of our strength such as it is and you might think well i haven't got much strength well maybe you're at the end of it quite soon then i sometimes feel like that i must admit we need to see just who jesus is don't we we need to realize that. We need to realize that he can be trusted, that he is holy and true, 
that he is able to open things up and shut things down. That's why we pray. That's why we hang in there and trust him. So when we're overwhelmed, let's see who he is. Let's get in the place where we can be reminded of him. That may be, you know, in his word. It may be talking to people. It may be being in the place where he is, hanging out with the community here or wherever you go to church. It could be that at a time you just need to live on the community for a while. In a way, you can't pray for yourself, but they can pray for you. You can barely believe anything, but you, you just kind of, with brothers and sisters, you just kind of let them carry you for a while. See who he is when we're overwhelmed. Feeling weak? Feeling overwhelmed? See who Jesus really is. Second thing. He says, I want you to see something else as well. He says, I want you to see what he does. See what I do, says Jesus. Now, Jesus tells these overwhelmed, weak-feeling believers who don't have much strength, as he himself says rightly to them, what does he say to them? He says, I've placed in front of you an open door. That's interesting. It's a strange kind of therapy for people feeling overwhelmed, isn't it? On first, you think, well, if I'm feeling really overwhelmed, maybe the last thing I want to know about is a great open door in front of me. Yeah, what's that about? How am I going to get the strength to even walk through it? What does this open door mean anyway? Well, if you look at the Bible, let the Bible interpret itself is always quite a good good way to start. Um, There are two possibilities. The open door could be referring to the door of salvation, the door of how you come to know God, how you get right in the right place with God, how God becomes real in your life. Salvation is the long word for it. Remember, Jesus says in John 10, I am the door. He said, if if anyone enters in by me, he will be saved or she will be saved. We'll be rescued by coming to know him. If we come his way, then we come to know God through him. It could be that. Remember, Jesus talked about the road of following him, the road to salvation, the road to life, he says, is narrow, actually, and not many people find it. There are two roads. He says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's a broad one. That goes, uh, sadly, to destruction. He said the road to life is narrow, and not everybody finds it. You need to be intentional about finding the narrow gate going through it. It could be that, that idea of the door of salvation. But there's another way that the door is used as an image in in the New Testament, and that is of the door of opportunity. It usually refers to for other people to hear the good news of Jesus and to find uh, that rescue, that salvation for themselves. So don't look at it now, but in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, um, Paul, the apostle, comes back and tells the church, I think it's at Antioch, how a door of faith to the Gentiles has been opened. You know, lots of Gentiles have come to know Jesus. He said, a big door, it's like a door has been opened. And Paul uses that expression three other times in his epistles of this opportunity for many people to come to know Jesus. It's a door, a wide open door. That's the other way it's used. 
And whatever way, actually, in, in many ways, I think both kind of work here. Jesus is saying to the, uh, the, the Philadelphian believers, I'm the way, you've come through the door, you're safe with me. But I think he's also saying to them, and I'll tell you why in a minute, that there is a door that's going to open in front of you for lots of other people to know who I am. And actually there's a little reference to that in the verse, in the passage, isn't there? Look at what he says about those people who have been opposing you. He says, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. He's saying, even from people from this Jewish community who is so implacably hostile to you, even some of those are going to come and know me, says Jesus. He's going to say, I love you. They're going to say that Jesus loves you. We see who the Messiah is and so on. That's what uh, he could be saying here. Now, you might think this is a bit overwhelming, isn't it? If I'm overwhelmed, do I want to know about a massive door of opportunity? And I'm going to go and witness the loads of people, all of that. Is that what I need? Well, let's look at more than that. Because look what it says, what Jesus, look in the passage, that what he says he will do. Is it's all about what he does. He says, I, not just when I put a door there, he says in verse 9, I will make them, I will make them. They will fall at your feet, but I'm going to do it, guys. He said, I, I'm the one who's going to be working here. He says, I have loved you. It's all about my love for you, says Jesus. You know, I know you love me, but I'm, I want you to know that I love you. He, then he says, uh, I'm going to keep you. He said, there's trouble. Some of you may be thinking, oh no, if we go through this open door and start telling the Jews at the synagogue that even Jesus thinks is the synagogue of Satan we're going to have real trouble and, and Jesus says no you, you know I'll keep you may be trouble I will keep you through that trouble it's always I will do this I will do that I will do that where's all the kind of where's all the power where's all the kind of the oomph to go through this open door coming from it's coming from Jesus that's what he's saying isn't it and I think that may be helpful to remember when we're feeling overwhelmed They're weak. They feel like they can't do any more. So he's promising to come and work with them. Yesterday we had um, a leader's breakfast and uh, we left the round table. You know the round tables, the go-pack tables that we have sometimes. We left them up for the uh, Bringing Good News event last week. And so we were moving them around. And uh, you've seen them. They're these round tables. They're very lightweight. And uh, I was moving, just dragging one across the floor. And... uh, Joshua Worgan was there. Uh, he's only about this big. So I said, do you want to help me, Joshua? So I was on one side of the round table. He was on the other side, and I moved back, and he pushed. And he, you know, his face just lit up because he thought he was moving the table. <laughs> but, well, he was, but actually I was moving the table. I, and I think it's like that kind of promise from Jesus. It's like that. We think we've got work to do. We think we've got an open door to go through. Jesus is saying... Trust me, I'm going to be moving it. Now there are seasons when this church is promised that season. Whether or not we can take that promise right now for ourselves, we'll come to in a minute. But there are seasons when moving the table. Actually afterwards, Emily also came along and helped out. Another little girl in the fellowship, she came. And so they were both doing it. And then, uh, then I moved the table. And then Emily came back and tried to do it on her own, which she did. Managed to move it a little bit. But I tell you, it must have felt very different moving the table on your own when you're down at that height, than it was when there's somebody. And, and Jesus is promising them a season, an open tour, an opportunity when he's going to do it. He's put it there, and he's going to work. They've kept going. They've held on to him. Jesus is saying, keep in that place. 
You're right where I am. Uh, you're, sorry, you're in the right place exactly where I can work in an amazing way. Jesus works through the weak, doesn't he? Being overwhelmed isn't a bad place to know his power. Didn't Paul, or doesn't the Bible say, how is Jesus' strength made perfect? In weakness. And that's what he's saying. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's about unlikely things like tiny mustard seeds that you can barely see on the end of your finger. That if they're planted, grow into the huge plants. That's the kingdom of God. And Jesus is saying, see that. So feeling overwhelmed? See what he does. See what he can do. Finally, third thing. See what he promises. There are these promises in these final verses. I am coming soon, he says. He says, I'm going to keep working in your lives. uh, It's still about what he will do and what he does as you you, you read on through to the end of these verses and the end of this message to this church. And he says, I'm going to keep working and I'm going to take you to a place where eventually you will know that future with him. And there's a picture here. It's a great picture of security. He says, I'm going to make the person who overcomes, who sticks with me, a pillar in the temple. Now, Philadelphia was a bit of an earthquake zone. Actually, right behind the city was a a massive kind of volcanic kind of rich area. In fact, Philadelphia was a great place to buy a really good bottle of wine in the ancient world because they grew a lot of vines in in this volcanic, rich, volcanic, sun-drenched soil. I want to go there, don't you? It sounds great. Anyway, um, it's in Turkey. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, so, so uh, it, but it was subject to earthquakes. And when earthquakes came, you know, the, the buildings fell down. And what was left of them? The pillars, actually. We still see it today. You want to see a, an old building, what do you find? Pillars. They're the bits that endure. And it's a picture of, of security. It's a picture that whatever happens, he said, I'll make you a pillar. You're, you know, you'll be a pillar. Um, again, in, in, in Philadelphia, in the temples, sometimes the, the key people had their names written on, uh, on the top of a pillar. And, and uh, yeah, people of honor. And Jesus is saying, you can, it'll be like that for you. So there's a new identity, he promises. A new identity. And then he promises uh, an identity in which we belong to God. He says, I'm going to give the name of my God to those people who overcome And then he says, uh, you'll find a home in a new community, finally. A name. And it's basically the promise that all that is temporary, all that is uncertain, all that is wobbly and shifting. You know, Philadelphia lived in an earthquake zone. The city had been destroyed several times in the last few hundred years to when this is written by earthquakes. It was a city actually had kept changing its name over the centuries as well. Even the name wasn't kind of consistent in Philadelphia. Um, and if you say all those temporary things, all those shaky things, all those things that seem to be so unsure are going to be replaced by security with Jesus in his purposes, in his new creation, when we will know what we're really made for and enjoy it with him, working with him, serving him, in his new creation. So feeling weary? Get with what he promises. Jesus tells them, just hold on. 
He's saying, look, you're fine. Keep with it. He's saying, look, don't, you know, in the old races, um, you know, what did the winner get? They didn't get medals. They got those crown, those wreaths, those laurel wreaths. Jesus is saying, you know, keep going. Keep going to the finish. You know, don't lose, you know, don't let anyone kind of get that crown off of you. He's, kind of, he's saying, run to finish. That's what he's saying. Have the attitude, I'm going to finish. I'm weary. I don't quite know how. I don't know, think I've got anything left to give. But I'm going to keep in my sight who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and where I'm heading with him. And as we hold on, could there be an open door? He is placing in front of us. Well, let's pray that that might be so. A little while ago, and I've shared this with the elders, somebody shared a prophetic word, which I'll share with you for your prayerful consideration. Um, they said uh, to me uh, around Christmas time, shortly after Christmas, whenever I see this happening, I said, it seems the Lord is saying to me to tell you to say, think big. I'll leave it with you. I was encouraged by it. Let's pray on it. Maybe the Lord is going to put an open door in front of us as a church, in front of the other churches in this city. I don't know. God knows we've been praying as churches for long enough that something will happen in our city. Let's pray that there may be that open door. But whatever happens, let's keep on. You know, the Church of Philadelphia finally did carry on. The door opened and they carried on. And do you know how long they carried on for? 1,300 years. All those other churches in, of the seven letters eventually disappeared quite relatively soon. I don't know exact dates. But in Philadelphia's case, um, when the Muslims uh, were taking over Turkey, Philadelphia was one of the very last towns to, you know, to hold on to their Christian identity until 1392. So, you know, I don't know any more details than that, but I, I realized that recently and I thought, wow. Their weakness did not hold them back, but became the open door Jesus had promised them. And I pray that that may be so for us too, uh, in our church, in the fellowships in the city, and in our lives, our weakness can be an open door for him to work for his glory. Amen. Peter, thanks.